Growth is the only way to unlock your true greatness, not only to yourself, but to the world. I'm your host, Candace Lamb, and I'm here to encourage you to explore the possibilities of your best life, what it looks like, and what it takes to get there. I've gathered successful leaders all around the globe to ask the questions we all want to know about business, wealth, health, and relationships. So settle in. You're listening to the Growth and Greatness Podcast. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Growth and Greatness Podcast. I am your host, Candice Lamb, and I am super excited to be coming to you again this week with another great episode. First of all, happy November 1st. (laughs) Can you believe it? We are literally weeks away from 2023, and I cannot even wrap my mind around it. My goodness, this year has had running shoes on. I don't know about y'all, if y'all feel the same way. You guys, we're kicking off another episode tonight, November 1st. We've got just a few more weeks before the end of the year, and I am really excited about the content that we're discussing tonight. Tonight, our topic is seven leadership myths that keep good leaders from being great. I've got a super special guest with me by the name of Pastor Terrence Stubble. Not only is he an amazing pastor, but he's also a great friend. And he has 25 years of ministry experience, but he's also got 25 years of leadership experience, particularly studied leadership experience. And so I'm really excited to be having this conversation with him tonight. So if you've never encountered Pastor Terrence Stubble, one thing you are going to want to do is to grab a pen and a pad because you're going to want to write down some things that he says I'm telling you, there's going to be some wisdom nuggets that start, they kick off right from the top, okay? I got my own notebook here, I got my pen, and I'm ready to go, okay? So please, without further ado, help me welcome Pastor Terrence Stubble. Pastor Stubble, good evening, good evening. So Pastor Stubble, we're about to jump right into it. My first question that I want to ask you is, Where did your love for leadership come from, the topic of leadership as a study? I think that they, I would say my first stint in Bible college back in, I was going to date myself there. Don't do that. (laughs) When we first went off to Bible college, my wife and I, we were in Columbus, Ohio, and there was a class there, an instructor in particular, who's now, who has been a mentor and a friend of mine for this entire time, because we have a great relationship now. He did our... In our second year of training, he did our leadership class. Mm-hmm. And it was from that class where I think he made a John Maxwell statement, everything rises and falls on leadership. And yep. I think because the way the class was conducted, and I think destiny as well, yep. there just seemed to be a fit. And so from there, leadership then took on an interest for me. And we've tried to make it a key part of what we do, even in ministry. Mm-hmm. I like you. I love John Maxwell. When I was coming up, I used to tell everybody he was my uncle. <laughs> like he is such a great resource, a great mind for leadership. And when I found out that he was a believer, I just loved him even more. 
because of the content that he created. So for those of you who may be new to your leadership journey, John Maxwell is an excellent, excellent person, an author, a content creator to follow because um, he's got some really, really great teachings that are helpful for leaders at every level. So Pastor Stovall, in your opinion, what makes a good leader? Candace, I think one of, you say what makes a good leader. And one of the keys for good leadership leading to great leadership is two things. I think two key things. And when I say them, they will, they will not at first seem very earth shattering. Okay. But yet key. And that is humility and love. And because humility says it's not about me. But people who are humble, even when even when you go back to scripture, let's take a person like Moses. Bible says meekest man that ever lived, but he led an entire nation out of bondage into, you know, into their well, he didn't take them all the way in, but he took them out in preparation for them to go into their destiny. But he's referred to as being the meekest man that ever lived. And according to the scripture, humility, because humility is a key characteristic that says, I am an owner of nothing, but I'm a steward of everything. And so therefore it attracts the grace of God very literally, very practically. Yep. He gives grace to the humble, but humble people don't take their humility for weakness because people who are truly humble and who understand the dynamics of humility, these are people who are passionate I mean, they are passionate about something that is bigger than themselves. Mm -hmm. And then love, love in that everything that drives relationships, or let's just put it this way, how God determined relationships to be governed, how we enter into relationships on all levels, not just family relationships, but job relationships, work relationships, and so on and so forth, really in his giving us the greatest commandment. He says, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind and strength. Then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And what he was giving humanity was. Oh man, I'm going to give Pastor Stubble a second because I know he may be, uh, his system may pop back up. But if I can be honest with you guys while we're waiting on Pastor Stubble, the craziest thing is one of the first things I knew that I wanted to talk about tonight with Pastor Stubble was humility, but I never told him that. <laughs> I never told him that word. And the reason why I started smiling was that was the first thing that he said <laughs> about what makes a great leader. And so I love how the Lord is always in those things because I didn't mention the word to him, but I knew that's where we were going. So God is sovereign. <laughs> I think I dropped out for a minute again there. <laughs> so. You did, you did. But I was just telling everybody that I was talking to Amali last week and uh, she was like, well, what are you talking to Pastor Stovall about? And I said, there's a concept in my heart that I want to talk about humility, but I'm not sure how to, I don't know how to, I said, I'm still working on it. And uh, I started laughing because that's the first thing that you said, but I never said that to you. I never even told no, you, you that. No, you didn't. So, you know, as Amali would say, one God. 
and I hope I don't keep dropping out. I mean, my internet connection seems to be fine, but I, I don't know what's going on here. So, but yeah, that humility, the, the humility piece is key because humility is what attracts the grace of God in a very practical way, not just in a religious way, in a very practical way, because Jesus, the Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, or rather, he said, let this mind be in you that's also in Christ Jesus, who, while he was God, did not consider equality with God something that he had to grasp or hold on to. And within the council of heaven, he was released to come to the earth and become a man. And he became, the Bible says, obedient even to the death of the cross. And so it is this, let this mind be in you then that's also in Christ Jesus, where we recognize that we are owners of nothing, Candace, but we are stewards of everything. I love that. And I want somebody to put that in the chat. And if you're writing notes, I definitely think that that's noteworthy because that takes some time to sit with. One of the things that I've experienced here recently is I find that in working with different personalities and working with people, one of the things that we struggle with as leaders is we don't always know how to lead when we're not the leader of it all right? So we don't always do a great job at working as a leader within an ecosystem of other leaders that are above us. You know what I mean? So it's mm -hmm. like, yes, I'm a leader or, you know, we can use the model of pastoring, you know, as a pastor, you're a shepherd, but biblically you're an under shepherd because Jesus is the great shepherd, right? So we're not just calling the shots ourselves. We're still submitted to another layer of leadership. And so it's understanding the concept of leadership within an ecosystem of a hierarchy of leadership that's above you. So you're serving the people that you are that would be quote unquote under you. You're serving them, but you're also serving, you know what I mean? It's a serving yeah. that goes, you guys see what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to use my body to say what I'm trying to say. <laughs> One of my colleagues, one of my uh, colleagues at, in ministry, one of my elders and, and friend Richard, he explained it to me like this one time. He said, normally when we look at leadership, we look at the leadership triangle. Normally the CEO is at the top and they yeah. have all the layers through the middle. He said, but when you are leading that way, when you are leading in that structure, then of course everyone is answering upline, right? And what he did was amazing because you know, from the frontline person to the supervisor to the manager, everybody's answering upline. And he said this, then who does the customer answer to? So when the customer comes in, you know, it's almost expected that the customer is under you, right? And so sometimes our service could be such that we're so used to reporting upline. We think when the customer comes in, the customer is coming in to benefit us. Come on, come on. But so, this is why we have a hard time reconciling that customers are not always right. So here's what he did. He took the triangle and he flipped it upside down. And he said, the CEO becomes responsible to the person above him to make sure that they have what they need. And the layer keeps going up until you get to the customer. So now the front line, everything is working up to ensure that the customer has what the customer needs. And so I think this concept of you know top-down leadership that has been in vogue for many centuries. I think we're beginning to learn and understand now that there is a different dynamic of leadership that is emerging that is more collaborative in the multitude of counselors, their safety. A leader doesn't have to be the solo know-it-all, the one who knows everything and everybody goes to that person for an answer. We're beginning to discover leadership 
on multiple levels, on whether it's visionary level, whether it is the a strategic level, or whether it is the level where you are actually initiating the action. And so it's multiple layers. Yeah. Yeah. So Pastor Stubble, what do you think is the difference between a good leader and a great leader? I think the difference is good leaders can still be self-focused and not necessarily selfish, but self-focused. The leadership is about them. But I think the difference between a good leader and a great leader is when you shift from a self-focus to others-focused until grafted into your leadership process is empowering the hopes, dreams, skills of other people. And that becomes a part of your leadership process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that you use the term into, grafted. Yeah, you grafted into in the leadership. And I'm learning. I mean, you know, it, I wouldn't say that I understood all of this, you know, in the beginning. But as we have gone on, Jesus trained a number of people. Just take the core 12. He trained them both took them and walked them through experience. He taught them, he sent them, they would come back and report and so on and so forth. He would go and tell them, listen, I'll go and lay hands. You go and do it. They would come back and report, oh my gosh, you know, demons were subject to us and so on and so forth. But the impact of his leadership is seen after he's gone. Right. And these men and women give of their lives the disciples, the 12, well, minus one, didn't make it out with their lives, early John. But Jesus embraced, trained, and developed them so sufficiently that they took on this vision that was bigger than them. Mm-hmm. And they worked it in, you know, for the rest of their lives. And mm-hmm. then we now, even at this stage in the 21st century, are the recipients of Jesus's leadership because we're still doing his thing right? even now. And I love that you said that because I think that that becomes a metric for our leadership today. And if you go back to the point that you were making before, how sometimes our leadership can be very self-conscious and not others conscious and We can tell when our leadership is self-conscious because there's almost a little bit in us that wants things to not be as good when we're not there because it makes us feel like we're making the difference. Hey guys, listen, put it in the chat. Okay. Has it ever been me? Now I'm not saying that that's me today. Lord knows I want things to be great (laughs) in my absence, but I do remember there was a season in my leadership where You know, I felt like if things moved on without me efficiently, then how would anybody, how could anybody tell I was ever there? How could anybody tell that my impact meant something? But what we're saying is there is a place in leadership that when you leave something, it should work just as good or better in your absence. And that becomes a metric for your success. So if you don't, have that as a measurement, or you've never considered that as a measurement, put that in your notes. That's something to press towards. The other thing I wanted to touch on is the model of leadership that you were talking about, Pastor Terrence, in terms of servant leadership. 
One of the things, because you said that we're moving towards a space of collaborative leadership, which is very different in my opinion. Now I'm going to be talking from my point of view, because I think that in generations before me, I feel like the leadership that I observed and the leadership that I experienced was very much parental. So it's like, Anybody that's a leader all of a sudden is doubling as a parent. You're sitting in the seat of like, a now you're a mother, now you're a father. When you don't necessarily need to be a mother or a father to be a leader. But I feel like people only understood leadership through that lens. And I think that that comes with pros and cons. Because, you know, having a second mother brings something else out of people that maybe just having a leader that's not acting as a mother, you know what I mean, wouldn't have to deal with. So I think when we start talking about moving towards collaborative leadership, I think that we're in a place now where we've got to be able to learn to lead adults and not create children out of them in order for our leadership to be effective. What say you? Don't you freeze up here right now. <laughs> you guys. This internet is not letting me be great tonight, but I'm not going to let my question go. Pastor Terrence is about to come back in this room and answer this question for me. <laughs> He's coming right back in and he is going to answer that question to see what I mean. <laughs> but if you guys have experienced that in your own life or if you've observed that, somebody put that in the chat. Because I've always wondered, like, why do I have to be your child in order for you to be my leader, right? But if we're not careful, leading today, we will try to adopt that same model. What I'm learning is you don't always get the best out of people when they have to be a child in order for you to be a good leader. Well, well you know, the whole concept, this, this, this concept of it's paternal leadership. In other words, paternal leadership is we up here know what needs to get done. You down there need to listen to us. We'll tell you what's best for you and you get this done. And so, I mean, that concept though is the idea that one kind of leadership suits everything mm -hmm. and it doesn't. And so, you know, we're learning that because people differ and I would encourage you to probably have uh, Richard James, one of our elders here, leadership is his thing and have him on your program one time he will take you through these things even more proficient than myself but we have this concept of one size fits all but people are so different mm -hmm. and not everybody needs the same level of leadership i mean let's look at let's look for instance at the definition of leadership so let's look at a definition maybe two two definitions i'll use miles monroe yep I'll use one of his definitions, and then I'll use a more of a textbook definition. Leadership is the capacity to influence others through inspiration, motivate by passion, generated by vision, and produced by conviction, ignited by a purpose. So let me say that again. So this is Miles Monroe, late Miles Monroe. Yep. Leadership is the capacity to influence others through inspiration, motivate by passion, generated by vision, produced by conviction, ignited by a purpose. Now, Peter Northhaus in his book, Leadership, which is more of a textbook that's used in universities, he says, leadership is a process whereby 
an individual influences a group of individuals to achieve a common goal. But then he goes on to say influence is the main part of leadership, how the leader affects followers and communication that occurs between leader and follower, because you don't have leadership unless you have followership. Somebody put that in the chat. But followership comes with all kinds of skills. Let me give an example. How do you know when? Or if you're dealing with individuals, you're in an assignment, you're trying to get something done. You could have people that are willing, but not able. You can have people that are willing and able. Yep. You can have people that are not willing and able. You can have people that are not willing and not able. Yes. If you try to lead each one of those the same way, you're going to have chaos. Yes. So a servant leader, I think, and I think this is one of the characteristics of a servant leader, a servant leader, because the servant leader is interested in not just the accomplishment of a goal, but the development of people along the way so that they in and of themselves become leaders that develop leaders so that you have this continuity of leadership development and growth and so on and so forth, then the servant leader has to know what those different individuals need. I might come to you and say, you know, Candace, listen, I need to get this. All I'm saying is that the servant leader then has this capacity to then know what these different individuals need. And so a part of servant leadership is knowing people. So it's more than just saying, I need your skill for this task. It is, this is going to be beneficial to you in your development as we are accomplishing this and accomplishing that. And so it becomes very selfless, but you have to be a person has to be strong in being comfortable with who they are to give themselves freely to someone else. How about you don't just have to know people. You've got to care about people, right? Like, is anybody else picking up on what Pastor Stevel is saying in order for, because I think that, and I have been guilty of this because Oh, so have I. When, when I started, I'm like, I'm all about achieving. I'm all about getting a job done. Look, I don't care about you. I'll wipe your tears, wipe the sweat, whatever. Yeah, but can you imagine this? But, but what you're saying, can you imagine you're saying, listen, we need to give God the glory. I don't care what you think. I don't care how you feel. You better get up and give it what to him. Yeah. And so we want to be people of excellence and, and all of those things. But if we are to value people, which is a part of leadership. It is valuing people as made in the image and likeness of God and that God has a purpose for them being in the earth. And he gives us this blessing of being a part of their development. Yes. So they're not just trying to accomplish what we want. We are trying to accomplish what God wants. Not only that, but they're part of our development. They're part of our development. And so (laughs) the leadership the followership, the exchange that takes place between leader and follower is important to the process so that even when we are accomplishing whatever the particular goal is, we're accomplishing it. People are remaining healthy, strong, they're growing, they're increasing. And I think that's probably what the difference between good and great leaders. 100%. Great leaders develop, they give themselves to develop 
people. They enter into a place, I think John Maxwell calls it a place, or if it's not Maxwell, it's comfy, that talks about getting to a place of personhood. People begin to follow you now and they'll go with you because of what you represent and who you are. And I think that we're in a stage and series now where I do believe that God is requiring more of us as leaders in equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. Yeah, I think that I, I feel like the Lord's been very clear. He's like, that's always been the requirement. That's always been <laughs> that's the always requirement. Been the job. Yeah, it's never been different. Yeah. But whenever we have levels of insecurity and I had to walk through insecurities as a leader. No, not as a leader. As a insecurities, person. Insecurities as a person. Hi. And so, you know, it was challenging in those early years. And to a degree now, I have to be more conscious of it that oftentimes critical analysis of something that we're doing is not a criticism of you as a person. Somebody a put that in the chat. Critical so, analysis of what you are doing is not yeah. criticism. Of you as a person. Of you as a person. Yeah, I would take it personal. Like, you're talking bad about me. He said, no, 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 it's not. My wife was good at this. And, and I learned a lot of this through my wife. He's been an integral part of my, my development. You know, she's had patience with me as I've developed as a leader. But to give critical analysis of something that you're doing does not belittle you as a person. It actually helps you to grow. Mm -hmm. But because we're pastors, well, let's, I'll use our example because sure. it's broader than just that. But you know, we've been taught that we should have all the answers and whenever anything is challenged, it belittles us. But really it's an opportunity for us to explore possibilities yes. because the people that are with us are smart people. People that are with us know things. I remember my mentor, he had told me one time uh, when he was here visiting a number of years ago, he said, brother, listen, work your strengths be comfortable staffing your weaknesses. And so <laughs> we're not meant to be the end always leaders of everything and all things at all times. If that's the case, then yeah, nobody else is needed. And then we'll find ourselves trying to do everything, Yep. which is not good leadership. And so there has to be a level of self-security if we are going to become collaborative going from a level of dependence in life to independence, to interdependence. But in order to be interdependent, you have to be comfortably independent. Come on. And once you're comfortably independent to be able to give of yourself to the development of people around you and people around us so that they can grow and develop. And right. as they grow and develop, they'll grow and develop others. And so I'm telling you to grow individually as a person becomes very key. And within the context of humility, being humble enough to be able to say, I don't know it all. Actually, I'm not perfect. Just want to put it out there. Right. I'm not perfect. And allow people to have input because when people have input, they have buy-in. Yes. It takes a tremendous skill to help navigate through that whole process. And so I think a good leader will have a tendency to be more self-focused. I think a great leader will be focused on not just getting something accomplished, but getting something accomplished while developing people that are in the process. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. I hope this is good to you guys because we haven't even gotten to the myths, but we're about to right, right now. (laughs) So for those of you who are just joining us, our title of this title for the show tonight is seven leadership myths that keep good leaders from being great. And we are about to kick off our first myth. And that myth, I'll read the myth and then I'm going to let Pastor Stubble take it away. First leadership myth is leaders are born. You know, one of the things it's people are born with particular traits and called trait leadership. And so people are born with particular traits. And if you weren't born with these traits, then, you know, you're not a leader. I wouldn't say that leaders are not born and there are certain dispositions that people may have in them at birth, but it's very limiting when you just say that these particular traits are leadership traits. Leadership really can is a matter of self-discovery, self-development, self-service. Yes. And self-discipline. And self-discipline. So the development, I will put the development, I think you could add it in there as an extra piece. I think the self-discipline becomes a part of the self-development, being disciplined to be developed. But then you're right, to have a disciplined process within accomplishing things. And so leaders, you can learn leadership. And so leaders are not just necessarily born. Now, I think that people may be born with a particular disposition to have influence without a lot of work with people. Sure. <laughs> some, some, about the, but some about their characteristic, a character. But I think people can learn leadership because leadership is not just about a person who has uh, charisma. Absolutely. But uh, you know what? I lo- and I love that this was the first myth that we talked about, Pastor Seville, because if we walk around believing that leaders are born and we are one of the blessed people who have the ability to influence people without a lot of effort, then there is there can be the temptation to not develop yeah. because you think that what you have is a born gift. But yeah. most of our leadership is compromised because we're underdeveloped. And so be approaching, approaching leadership with humility, like you were saying, realizing that anybody that's going to be great as a leader has to give themselves to development, whether you're born with a great personality or not, whether, you know what I mean? You feel like you got Mm -hmm. a little bit of a head start because people listen to you when you say something, or you feel like you have to crack open a book to get the party started, whatever it is. (laughs) Leadership requires the discipline of development for us first before we can contribute to the community with that skill set. Just because you may have a charismatic personality doesn't mean that you have the character of leadership. Mm, Say that. Oh, one more time. One more time for the people in the back. (laughs) Yeah, because, you know, charisma might get you to a place where you could have influence but character will give you the power to maintain that influence for good, good character. That's it. And it's these character issues, it, not issues, it's these character components that position us to be able to grow and contribute in the way that we were talking about. So yeah. if I've got a strong character, then I'm not intimidated by somebody providing critical analysis on my performance as a leader, right? Mm-hmm. 
And the fact of the matter is everybody that's under my leadership, if my role is to help them to develop, that means that sometimes the people that I am leading, they are not always going to be able to articulate their critical analysis in a way that's so sophisticated that I'm like, hmm, that's a great point. I see what you're saying there, right? (laughs) Sometimes it comes out crude, but it doesn't mean that it's not true. (laughs) And I've got to be the one to mine the truth of what's being said, even though I'm like, oh man, that's rude. (laughs) I think once you start building that team and everything, when people begin understanding that you have these dialogues that sound like it's criticism, but really it's developing. And so I think we grow into that as well. Yeah. And so I think that it's important for people to know that leaders are not necessarily born with these particular leadership traits or traits that make them great leaders. Most leaders are, those traits are developed. Even if they have them in their infancy, they're, they're developed. Absolutely, absolutely. Myth number two, having a position makes you a leader. Listen, this one is, I believe this is a myth. Let's use, for example, and this could be a little, a little controversial, but let's use politics. Oh gosh. Let's use politics. Don't get my show oh. shut down, Pastor Stubble. One <laughs> of the challenges, and we'll use it within the local context. People put themselves forward to represent citizens of a constituency within the House of Parliament. Mm-hmm. Those individuals may be vetted to some level, but a great deal of them won't initially even understand how governments are run. And so because they don't necessarily, and there's not necessarily a place where we go for training, that if you want to run, if you want to be a politician or whatever, there's got to be these base requirements. We don't really have that. And so, you know, our democracy is such that if you're a citizen and you have enough likability, people can vote you in and you can become an MP, a member of parliament, then what qualifications are required for that? And then you may be given the responsibility, a portfolio that is the managing of a multi-million dollar department when you really haven't had the responsibility anywhere else in life. And so, People are made to stand up for you when you come in a room because you have a position. And John Maxwell actually says, and I think Covey's the same, that positional leadership is actually the lowest form of leadership. But if you're not careful, people standing for you while you walk in could give you the impression that people think you know something. I'm not going to go too deep into that. But the implications of that statement in other areas of life. But you understand what I'm saying? So yes, it, it's it is also and true. So it's not the position that makes you a leader. Yes. Because you could have a position and not have any idea of what's really required. Here's one of the things that's interesting, Candace. Most times or many times, people know your deficiencies before you're willing to admit them. Can somebody put that in the chat? I just, because Pastor Stubble, one more time. One more time. Many times people are aware of your deficiencies, but in the system that we live in, in the system that we have, 
sometimes if you want to keep your job, it's better to be quiet and let the deficiency be deficient as long as I can keep my job because of this concept of this person's in position, they're the lead. And you want to be respectful. So I think that's what you want to be respectful. I want to be respectful and not lose my job. Right. And so, and then if people are insecure and thin-skinned at that level, and I only use politics as an example. Sure. If you're at that level of leadership where all of a sudden you come from wherever it is you work and you become the steward and custodian of something that needs multi-levels of leadership influence, but never had that training. You're there because someone elected you and there's a position that you now fill. Yep. It doesn't mean, and so whether it's there or whether it's in the private sector, whether it's in church, whether it's in our church leadership, it's important to know that it's not the position that makes you leader or an effective leader. It's who you are and what you bring to it and your willingness to learn to become effective, an effective leader in this particular arena. And so, yeah, you got to have strength of character. Absolutely. Because like I said, the position is, they say position is, that's the entry level. Absolutely. And because I believe, you know, when we start having conversations about leadership, it's really, really easy for us to refer to a leader that we've been under to identify yeah. all of the ways like, yep, that's absolutely it. I saw, you know, I saw that chink in their armor. I saw that gap in their, their reasoning. I saw all of those things, right? But this particular episode tonight is for people who believe that they are called to lead themselves. And I think that you made a really great point because the thing is we may not handle leadership well, but there are still people who may be under us who still have a, an honor and a regard for the position that we're in. So they may not rip us apart when we are subpar, but we have got to have the discipline to be like, God, search me. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Oh I've got to have the discipline to read a book or two so that yeah. I'm not out here embarrassing myself because People, especially within the context of church, people have been conditioned to govern themselves a certain way under spiritual leadership. So when you become a leader by position, there is a level of insight that you lose instantly because people just won't tell you. Right. And it, like you, they just won't tell you. They'll so tell each leader, other. <laughs> as a leader, then... If we do not, and I've been guilty of this, if we do not surround ourselves with people that we give the right, it takes time because this doesn't happen overnight, but you have as a leader, if you're the key leader, and let's say in the in church, if you're the key leader, then it becomes important. I remember when I first started out and first started our church and one guy who was there, who I was mentioning to you earlier, when he started coming and stuff and gave his life to Christ and, and he was really like, he was leadership and he loved leadership. And I'll never forget that he came up with this idea. And Candace, I was like, how come I didn't come up with that idea? <laughs> that was supposed to be me. <laughs> what? And if you have, and not immediately thinking, God, thank you for sending this person. Mm. I was like, hang on a minute. I'm supposed to have those kind of ideas no, and just so that people second. can know that it came from me. 
But oh my gosh, just immaturity. It was just immaturity. And so God is gracious. God is gracious. And so, but learning to surround yourself, you know, I haven't always been good at that and I'm still growing in it. I don't like people not to like me. You know, I don't want to be not liked by people. Some people don't, you know, don't care. So I have to learn to handle critical analysis, not see it as criticism. But Paul basically said, our calling is to equip people for a goal, for the work of the ministry. They have to be equipped. So a great deal of our leadership has to be equipping, empowering people, which means as we just don't see them as followers, we see them as a part of a team that we are sharing with. Jesus shared his leadership. God shared his leadership with humanity in the beginning. Hello. When he said, let us make man in our Our image image. and and let them have dominion. Yes. And then he took Adam and put him in the classroom of Eden and said, now let's work on your development. Come on, come on. And I even love what you said, Pastor Stevel, about equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. Because I think sometimes we can approach our leadership in such a way where it's flat, right? Well, I'm just equipping this person on my team to do this thing, right? But not only as leaders do we have got to consistently keep our ear to the Lord for our own development, but we've also got to to allow the Lord to give us a vision for how he sees the people that we're leading, Right. Mm -hmm. So I may have somebody that I'm working with and they may just love one aspect of a thing, but the Lord may be like, no, they've got so much more. Right. Yeah. They've got so much more. And so the Lord is now influencing me so that I can say, hey, listen, have you ever thought about this? What about this? What about these things? Mm -hmm. Right. But if I am just content with keeping it flat keeping people at a task level, then I'm not doing the job of equipping. And I think that's really one of the messages that I want people to go away with is that there really is a depth to the responsibility of leadership. It's not just Mm -hmm. taking somebody from point A to point B, but the Lord is saying by the time they get to point B, they should be different than they were when they started from point A, right? So we're not only moving people, but we're also facilitating a transformation with the Lord. And sometimes he's like, say this. Then sometimes he's like, don't say a thing, right? Like, so it's a partnership. So we are partnering with the Lord in that way. And so it really is the scope that we use to approach leadership. It really deserves to be so much more broad than sometimes the way that we approach it. I think this uh, season that we've been in coming through COVID and all of that, I really do think that it has created an opportunity for us to recalibrate on a multiplicity of levels in even in church. And I think leadership and leadership development is a part of that. Absolutely. And so it's equipping people, which means that we're not afraid to get involved in people's lives because we don't just want a body. We just don't want a body show up to say that we have numbers because that's not necessarily equipping. Equipping is on a tripartite level. It is spiritual, it is psychological, and then even our physical bodies. And so we're equipping on a multiplicity of levels. It's involved in the equipping process. Absolutely, which is why you can't be a good leader if you if you don't care about people. 
like and not just caring about people for the job that they do right i (laughs) i remember having a conversation with my mentor at the time and she was like kenneth you'll never be a good leader you don't like people and i was like what But in my heart, I was like, you are right. (laughs) I do not like those guys. (laughs) They bug me. But but I will say this. I find that, you know, 20 years, 20 years from then till till now or just thereabouts, I am finding that there is such an undercurrent of disgruntled angst. From people in leadership, it's like, oh, you know, people make me tired. People make me this. People make me yeah, that. Yeah. Bah, 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 like, bah, bah. Leadership would be wonderful if you didn't have people. It's yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, no, well, what else not, would you be doing if you didn't have anybody to lead, right? Yeah. Leadership is a relationship between leader and follower. And both have input into the process of getting from one place to another to accomplish particular goals. And so... We have to have a genuine care about the quality of people's lives so that we don't use people to achieve our goals, that we work through a process to help everyone achieve their goals. Because people are going to discover things about themselves in this leadership process that we have this privilege to be stewards over. And he entrusts things to us and we are entrusted because all of life is a stewardship. Yep. Somebody put that in the chat. The earth is the Lord's and all of its fullness, the world and they that dwell in it. And so the earth is his. So we are owners of nothing. But uh, David put it this way in Psalms. He said, you made man a little lower than the angels and you crowned him with glory and honor. He said, what does that look like? Because for us, the concept of glory, you know, if you're in our charismatic circles, it's this, you know, this weighty presence of God that knocks you out. But the crowning of glory and the crown of glory and honor with man is seen in the next verse. You've made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. And so it is the carrying out of this dominion, which leadership is a part of, that is a manifestation of glory. It is the glory of dominion in the earth, not over people, but over systems that people work in to accomplish for the betterment of people. And so at the end of the day, leadership is always about people. It's not about things. It's not just about a product. It's about people. Every product that we produce, if if you're in that arena, it's for the benefit of a human being. And so all of our leadership is directed towards the benefit of human beings. We have to love human beings, treat them with dignity. When Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, he's saying, honor them with the highest good that you desire for yourselves, which means that if I am serving someone, when they come in, when we partner in this process, I have to ask myself, what would I want as a person coming under my leadership? That's a great. If I am going to be my leader, what would I want? Or if someone is coming to purchase something from my shop, if that was me coming, how would I want to be served in this shop? And mm-hmm. so on every level, it is the way we can help judge our service to people is being honest about what we would want to receive if we were customers in our own store. Right. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, 
we probably will get to these seven. But I was just going to say we're going to we're going to power through so that people can write them down in their notes. So number three, the third myth is if no one is complaining, I must be okay. But I well, think we that, talked probably, a little bit about yeah. that. Yeah, sometimes uh, people just won't say anything because they may not. Uh, they don't want to be seen. Listen, we'll have a meeting, and you'll give people the opportunity. Does anybody want anything to say? And you, and you know what? One of the reasons that happens that we're learning is that oftentimes because there's a lack of trust. Patrick Lencioni and his five dysfunctions of a team. Uh, the first level of dysfunction is a lack of trust. And so we can have those kinds of meetings where we put it out there. Anybody want to say anything? Well, nobody's saying anything. I guess we're okay. But there is conversation around the cooler. There's conversation in the little kitchen. There's the conversation after the meetings. And so sometimes people just don't feel comfortable enough in a relationship of trust where they are willing to open up in when they're given the opportunity. So just because no one's complaining doesn't necessarily mean you're doing everything okay. Right. And you cannot mandate openness and transparency. It is an organic byproduct of trust. So if you have teams that you feel like you're not getting that level of communication that you want, instead of being punitive to the team, you've got to go back and figure out how to create that environment of trust that's going to give you the results you want. Myth number four, leaders have all of the answers. <laughs> yeah, I think we answered that. <laughs> we, listen, remember this. Let me give an example. God says to Moses in uh, Exodus 24, 25, he says, Moses, I want you to build me a tabernacle. And then he says to him later on, now I have anointed some guys. And he goes through this whole list and he says, I've anointed them with the spirit of, of wisdom in the arena of being artisans. And so he anoints them, but he tells Moses to build, but he's telling Moses, basically saying, now you don't have all the skills for, for what I'm asking you to do, but I've anointed some individuals that you will provide leadership for, but they will have something that you don't have. You'll know the end product when you see it, but you have to release. And then he tells Moses, now you go and tell them, what their assignment is. And so no leaders don't have all the answers, not even possible. There's only one person that had all the answers at any given time on the planet who was human. And that was our Lord when he came in the flesh outside of that. Hang it up. We don't have all the answers. <laughs> outside of that, hang it up. Yeah. Uh, you just have to know where to go to get them and to know it. that you have people around you that you can rely on. That's it. Myth number five, charisma and being extroverted defines a leader. Yeah, I mean, we've come, you know, up until I would say 60 or so years ago, in especially in the arena, again, I'll go with politics, in the arena of politics, up until about 60 or so years ago, being a charismatic person was not a criteria to run for public office. But almost nowadays, if a person is not charismatic, they are not seen as being effective because there's something about this outward expression of that says if a person is loud they know it all or they know something or if a person is very just likes people and they just greeting everybody and it's just very dynamic in a presentation it means that that person is proficient and that's not the case i know that that's not the case we can speak well articulate well and so on and so forth but that's not what makes us a leader it might be a part of it but 
being able to articulate something doesn't mean that you know everything. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, being charismatic is wonderful. And uh, there's an interesting study by a group called Globe who did a study of a number of regions around the world that talked about what are some of the important things that you desire from a leader. Being charismatic was a part of it, but not every region desired that out of their leader. And so it's a very, very good study. I, I don't have the, all the information of that, but it was a group called Globe, and they did it over a period of years, and they looked at all these different demographics in different countries. Not everybody desired, in every region, desired as a top priority to have a charismatic leader. They wanted somebody that was efficient. They wanted someone that was honest. They wanted someone that had uh, capability. And for some, being charismatic was down a little bit mm -hmm. on their priority. That is very interesting. Myth number six, leaders should not show vulnerability. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so- Somebody put that in the chat. To be vulnerable simply means I'm okay with you knowing that I don't know this because my not knowing this doesn't depreciate who I am and I'm okay with that. Now, not everybody may see it like that, but the leader, him or herself, has to be comfortable with being vulnerable. I wouldn't say that that happens overnight. I think the culture that we live in, and maybe at another time around, we'll talk about the culture that influences even this land that makes it difficult for individuals to be vulnerable because sometimes not everybody is ready to know things about you. But at certain levels, we as leaders should be able to say, my goodness, I don't know that. Or I'm hurting. I remember a number of years ago, we were traveling on a missions trip and one of the gentlemen that was on the trip with us passed away difficult time. I mean, it was probably one of the most difficult things we had to deal with. And so while we were going through the process, we were in another part of the, we were on the other side of the globe. We were in, wow. at this, we were in Korea. We were on our way to the Philippines. And so we're going through all of this, like he passes and now we're in the police station. They're, they're interviewing us like we were criminals. And, and so you have wow. to hold this level of, we got to get this body back. We got to, we got all these things we have to do. And so I'll never forget, Candace, when we finally, after about nine days, went through this whole process, they had to do all kinds of, we, we got back. And I'll never forget the first service we went to back at home. And I went to church. And when we started singing, the only thing I could do is sit there and cry. I bawled, I cried, I cried because it hurt. And leaders hurt. And I think we ought to be comfortable. I was never always good at that because I, I want people, you know, but leaders do hurt because we are people, we are growing and we are developing. And I think sometimes, and I won't say that carte blanche, that it's always like this, but when, when people can identify or see that they can identify with you or you identify with them, you do hurt, then I actually think it could benefit your leadership when people don't or you don't make yourself to be seen as someone who is always on top of. For today, it's not one of those days. I'm just feeling a little weighty. And so I think vulnerability, as long as we get through it, resume what we have to accomplish, people will know that, wow, it's possible that you could have hurt and still get things done.
and still lead. So being vulnerable is not a weakness. Being vulnerable is really strength that is under control. Mm -hmm. What do you think? I completely agree with you because I think that as a leader, sometimes the people that you work with, they take their cue from you for how to manage their own crisis, how to handle their own things, right? I know when I was in my 20s and I was just starting out, when I started walking into, you know, serious situations in my life, I was looking to people who were my leaders to see like, how do you do this? How do you do this? You know what I mean? Because I had come from a background, you know, just a little bit about me. I'd come from a household where my mom was very expressive, like chicken little expressive. The sky is falling, (laughs) that kind of thing, right? I knew I didn't want to be like that, but I didn't exactly know how to be. So, you know, the the pendulum, you know, in theory would swing to the opposite end. So I'm not going to freak out, but I Mm -hmm. also don't know how to process my feelings, right? And it wasn't until I started getting around people who taught me how to articulate, man, that hurt. Or I'm really frustrated right now. You know, instead of everything that made me mad, made me yell. Now, all of a sudden I have words to say, I need a minute because that's Mm -hmm. really frustrating to me and I need to be able to gather my thoughts. You know what I mean? So I'm realizing that these things are skill sets, you know, and being able to be vulnerable and maintain your integrity as a leader is a skill set. And so sometimes, you know, as leaders, it's like, I think some, especially in this day and age, because we live in a society that believes in keeping it real, sometimes our level of transparency is not healthy. It's like, I'm going to just tell it all so that you you can can know it all. It takes a lot of wisdom. (laughs) Right. And that's not that. But then the overcorrection is, well, I'm never going to share anything about you because you just can't handle the fact that I'm hurt. And that's not true either. People can handle it, but they don't necessarily need to be, you know what I mean? You don't have to share Mm -hmm. the gore of it, but we've got to be able to pull out the redemptive value of the pain, even if we can't do it in the moment, realizing that the vulnerability that we experience and that we express, the goal of it is to say, hey, I'm hurting, but this is how I am tapping into for spiritual leadership, this is how I'm tapping into the Lord as my hope and as my help. And I think sometimes we are too satisfied with just saying that we're hurt. Sometimes, you know what I mean? We're just satisfied with saying I'm a mess, but then it's like, well, where's the Lord? (laughs) It's a challenge to say in this moment, I am hurting, but I haven't lost hope. I'm just hurting in this moment. My, My hope is still intact, but I just right now I'm overwhelmed by this. Even if, I mean, the scripture even lets us know that the disciples saw Jesus weep. So weep over Jerusalem. They saw him weep and weeping wasn't, uh, you know, they did, the Bible doesn't say that they saw it as a weakness. He was weeping, you know, over compassion, but uh, over the city. But I think to be vulnerable enough. And again, I think all of us are at different levels with this and, and to be comfortable in our own skin, to be comfortable in the grace of God. Yeah. I think I've probably learned more of this from my wife I think I'm, I'm probably not her best student sometimes, but uh, she- uh, Your she secret is, is safe with us. She's, she's very graced when it comes to having an emotional or having being vulnerable about something emotionally and then bounce back 
And I mean, sometimes I could, at one time I couldn't even understand this. Like, well, how could you come back and now just talk like everything is, but in those moments, and she would always say it was a moment. It was just a moment. And so vulnerability done well. And like you said, it can become a skill that when we are vulnerable, it allows people to see that it is possible to have a moment of brokenness, vulnerability, but not lose hope. Absolutely. And so I still hope, have hope. My hope is intact. And as a matter of fact, it's because of that hope that I know where to go back to. Right. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Our last myth, number seven, anyone in front of a crowd is a leader. <laughs> And I think before you even go into this, Pastor Shovel, I think it's important to say, like, even these, again, like, we're not saying that these are metrics for you to be like, mm -hmm, I knew they weren't a leader this whole no, time. No, yeah. <laughs> right? No, no, like, yeah, these are yeah, tools yeah. of self-assessment tonight. Right? So take yeah. these tools and use them. And like Michael Jackson says, start with the man in the mirror. <laughs> yeah. And if and you have anything other, left I, over... I yeah, I would encourage people to, you know, I would encourage people to go online. I mean, you know, you can go online and just look up myths about leadership. You know, it, they're there. Just because you're standing in front of a crowd doesn't make you an effective leader. Okay, let's put it this way. You can have good leadership and you can have bad leadership and both be in front of crowds. Let me give you an example of what I mean. Hitler stood in front of people constantly. Now, was he a leader? Yeah, he was. He was. Was he a good leader? Well, I would say no, because his leadership was built on a perspective of another group of human beings that became his objective to annihilate. And he managed to influence what we would call well-meaning people, just citizens, to become a part of annihilating a group of people, but he was in front of a crowd constantly. So when we talk about anyone who's standing in front of a crowd, I'm not talking about a person who doesn't have charisma, a person who doesn't have the ability to sway. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that you can have a person that stands in front of a crowd that has influence, but not for good. So I think that statement would probably should be anyone who stands in front of a crowd is not necessarily a good leader. Mm -hmm. And so just because people stand up in front of us or have a mic or in our day have the platform of media yep, and have the ability to speak into people's lives is not always for good. And so I think that we have to become more discerning. We have to be people that do not live from sound bites. Yeah. One of the things I always encourage, you know, even in our congregation that while I'm teaching and sharing and so on and so forth, just tell people, now make sure that you go home. And one of my prayers, always at the end of our times together in the world of the Lord is that God now please show people what they need to know that even I did not articulate while being here. I articulate what yep. I thought and believed that he wanted me to articulate, but I encourage people to now trust the Holy Spirit to expand because he's the ultimate teacher. And so just because a person is standing in front of you doesn't necessarily make them a good leader. Mm -hmm. And we mm -hmm. shouldn't make that mistake. We should be discerning. Right. And not always critical, just be discerning. Right. I love that you said that we have to be discerning. And I want to say this as it pertains to that, because I believe in many instances when I've spoken with people and they talk about discernment, they're relying on a gut feeling. 
that this is good or this is bad. They're relying on something that they can't quite put their finger on to indicate to them whether or not this is for my good or not. But discernment is really based off an understanding of what discernment, the foundation of discernment is an understanding. The Bible says in all of your getting, get an understanding. So your discernment Mm -hmm. is based off the word of God. It is based off the objective that Jesus is trying to achieve in the earth and your understanding of that right? So then you are able to measure something and discern something because you understand the criteria. Discernment is not just a gut feeling because sometimes your gut will betray you. So Mm -hmm. if you are a believer, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, inform, like your understanding informs your discernment. And so don't leave it at a gut feeling and don't leave it at just a hunch but get into your word because the Bible says that the thief comes to steal, to kill and to destroy. Right. And his objective is Mm -hmm. to deceive. He's a liar. He's a liar. And a lot of times we expect to appear as an angel of light. Yes. And that's it. And can appear as an angel of light. We sometimes underestimate his ability to deceive. And we're like, Oh, well, he's just going to come the obvious way. And we're like, Oh, you devil. I see you with your little mask on. And he's like, like, you're not realizing that the enemy has been deceiving people for, um, millennia. (laughs) Okay. So he, Mm, he, he, he is skilled at deception. And so when we start talking about discernment, don't just let it be a gut feeling, inform yourself, get an understanding so that your discernment can be sharp and that it can be accurate, not just for others, but but for yourself. Mm -hmm. Pastor Stevel, there's two more questions that I want to ask you before I cut us all loose. What is one of the most critical lessons that has shaped your growth as a leader? I would say what we uh, talked about earlier, and that is the blessing of humility. I've learned in this process, uh, one of the things I've learned is oftentimes, I think I mentioned this in our service the other day, oftentimes you can be the subject of people's lunchtime gatherings and they still smile in your face. <laughs> and period. the ability not to take it personal and retaliate, it's been major for me. It's been important because when you are in recognized leadership, of course, you become a target as well as a blessing. You know, you can become a target. The other thing I've also, one of the things is knowing that oftentimes people will see you want the influence that you have but not what you went through to get it. They don't want, they just want this end result. And sometimes it's challenging. I've had people come to my office sometimes say, well, you know, I'm anointed too and and so on and so forth. And so, and you've got to be patient in this process, you know, and it takes great humility. It takes humility to know that even in those circumstances and situations that these individuals are still trying to work their way through whatever they're working their way through. And, like Christ, you have to know when to challenge it with a level of forcefulness, when to let it go, when to leave it alone. And so, but it takes great humility when you want to say something and he says, not now. Right. Yeah. Not everything. Listen, just because you're comfortable with a hammer doesn't make every problem a nail. Somebody put that in the chat. Just because you're comfortable with a hammer doesn't make everything a nail. 
and leadership requires finesse. You've got to have dexterity. You've got to have dexterity. I'm telling uh, to deal you. with the multiplicity of situations. And I'm if all you know how to do is hammer, yeah, That's it'll it. be, it could be, yeah, it could be detrimental. And our, the lens with which we view leadership, period, that thing colors how we approach everything. So if our lens is off, then the prayer is, God, give me eyes to see. Show me, show mm -hmm. me the truth of this situation. Show me the truth of what you had in mind when you called me to be a leader, right? Because when we're talking mm -hmm. to people and they're like, I'm just as anointed as you, I can do all of these things. And they're like, Pastor Stubble said, like, you know, not everybody wants to go through what you went through to be where you are. And I'm like, I don't want yeah. to go through what I went through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But here you know, we are. With Moses, Moses had a situation where he had some guys come out to say that to him. You know, you're trying to be prince over us. You know, we're God speaks to us and so on and so forth. They never went through what Moses went through. They didn't go through the processing that Moses went through. They didn't even see Moses when he wanted to reject his assignment, when he said, Lord, I can't do deliver these people. They didn't see all of that, but they also didn't see that all of that gave Moses the privilege of being in the presence of God. And right. so... People sometimes right. see what you have and they see your leadership and would like it. And they want what they think you have, the accolades that look like it's coming from people. But normally when people see that, it's because of their own insecurities and they really want something that will make them feel like for them, they want people to see that they've arrived and so on and so forth. So they, you know, they start going, trying to go after leadership, but most times it's an insecurity. Right. And they start, we start judging ourselves by ourselves and that's not a wise thing. Right. So if we could leave you with a word of advice is to desire the path that the Lord has for you. One thing yeah. I know about the Lord and one thing I know about the journey of growth and greatness is that everybody will be tried. Everybody's got their own valleys. Everybody's got their own challenges that they will have to walk through to walk in the fullness of what God has for them. And if you haven't yeah. yet, then keep living. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, your season is on the way and we look at it like a, it's a bad a thing, but the Lord is like, you know, this is the way, this is the way that I grow human beings. This is the way that I develop. Yeah. This is the way that I transform people into the image of my dear son. And so don't want, and it don't want, <laughs> that's one thing you can take to the bank. You can cash that check. It's good. That's right. <laughs> yeah, the Lord, yeah. <laughs> you will have your own fair share of things to build your own anointing right. in your own life. You don't yeah. have to desire um, the thing of somebody else. That's for sure. Two questions and we're out. Now this one is going to be a meaty one. Pastor Stubble, what are the three most common pitfalls you observe in new leaders? Pitfalls, pitfalls. Let me see pitfalls and new leaders going solo not thinking that it would be beneficial to have a mentor have people in your life so thinking that you are it because you may be talented gifted or whatever thinking that you're it the other thing is thinking that a person determining that they deserve to be a leader because of some gift or maybe they were used at one time on a project and now it's i deserve and i should be given you've this, earned the role be, you've earned the rule. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's because people like the attention that it brings, but definitely going solo, people thinking that they deserve to be a leader because maybe even in other arenas, they're recognized 
and maybe they want to be a leader in another arena that may not be their particular what they're wired for sure but just the sense that someone thinks that they deserve they deserve to be a leader and then again what i mentioned earlier when people look at that leadership when the scripture says those who compare themselves by themselves are not wise in other words to look at another person one of the challenges in bermuda i think is we have this and i'll just say real briefly we're challenged with a spirit of strife in bermuda and i don't have time to go into that and all that detail but what strife does it creates dissension and oftentimes that dissension we it manifests itself in pride greed covetousness and pretense and so oftentimes we have a sense of pride we covet what we see another leader has that we would desire you know who fell into that let me give you an example you know who fell into that lucifer the bible says that lucifer was corrupted because of his own splendor and that's what caused him to lose his place as the anointed cherub that covered the throne because he thought that because he had that level of influence and closeness to god and so on and so forth he actually began to say now hang on i should have a little bit more and the scripture says that it was his own splendor and his perspective of it that corrupted him you became corrupt because of your own splendor yowzers yowzers whoa and so sometimes people become enamored with what it is they do have and so they think that you should give me a role more than what i'm presently doing and when people begin to demand that you already know they're not ready for it right the other thing i would want to tack on to that is particularly in the area of spiritual leadership is that spiritual leadership it does not follow the same model as a career ladder which is what we're used to right when you go into an organization and you complete your job according to your job description it's understandable to be looking for the next rung to elevate because that's the model that we've been given that's the understanding of growth and development within the context of corporation but that level of growth and ascension does not apply to spiritual leadership i'll tell you something in addition to that i think that oftentimes because people do have that perspective of going up the corporate ladder that they have a misconception of the true nature of leadership because going up the corporate ladder may not be your assignment hello hello but and this is why we got people that you know they start off they're a youth pastor but they're just a youth pastor long enough for them to start preaching to the young adults and then they're just yeah. there long enough until they start pastoring, you know what I mean? Now they want to be the pastor of the whole church, but then that's not good enough. So now I've got to be a bishop. But then after that, well, I got to be a chief of bishop. But then after that, I've got to be an apostle because the rungs of the leader go well, this way, go right? Yeah. And it's well, like- It's not necessarily- that's, not But that's case. not the way that that works in the kingdom of God. Yeah. That's well, not, I, I I'll it's say not, it doesn't necessarily work way, that way. I don't think that's the way it ought to work in life. I think- a good friend of ours wrote a book called The Anointing of the Second. And it's like, you may not be called for that particular role. And I think because we have this idea of going up the corporate ladder, so life to us is a ladder and you're going up these rungs, but it can become so narrow that you're chasing something that may not be your gift set. Period. And so therefore you could lose out on what your real destiny is you may never discover the real passion for why you exist because you're trying to follow even in the settings of the world. 
right which is a part of the kingdom as well but we are so set to look at going up corporate ladders that we never ask ourselves is this my ladder absolutely that's like every third grade teacher is not destined to be a college professor no you know what i mean like yeah the idea that your career or your investment of service isn't complete until you reach the pinnacle of the top leadership spot in that respective industry. It just doesn't get there. It's not real. Not happy. You, it's you, not the person real. can get there and find out that they're still not happy and don't know why. I think Miles Monroe used to say things like, you know, many people, their jobs have become the greatest hindrance to them discovering their true leadership potential. Wow. And then, you know, people then go and then they retire at a certain age and then don't know what to do in life because they never really hit their thing that they do because it's almost like this is what I've been wired for. And so sometimes you could get lost chasing the ladder and never really discover your purpose. And then if you don't discover, you know, your purpose, then your leadership then is going to be impacted. Right. And so I think Miles Maurice will talk about leadership is a discovery of who you are. It's a discovery of uh, the particular gift that you've been graced with. It's the developing that through discipline and so on and so forth. And then it's serving that gift to the world. Yep. But if you never discover that because you have looked and said it's this corporate ladder and some people are meant for that, but not everybody is. Right. Right. Listen, I know you got one more question. So, yep. My last question for the night. If you guys have been enjoying this, please put something in the chat. I'm enjoying looking at the chat. I didn't get a chance to highlight everybody, but I do want to give a quick shout out. I see Tiffany Douglas. I see Deborah Joel. I see Miriam Simmons. I see Avery Emery. I see Dr. Sharon Apopa. They have been lighting up this chat with some really great feedback. So thank you guys for being on. I see Pastor Mia Lowe. She's been on. Uh, Sister Muriel Santushi, she's been on. So thank you guys for your feedback. I love you guys be hosting this show with me. And so we tracking, we tracking tonight. <laughs> so our last question for the night, Pastor Stevel, is this. What word of advice do you have for leaders who want to grow to their fullest potential? If you could give one word of advice, what would it be? Okay. I'll give you a scripture. Perfect. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And in due time, you know the rest. That's right. If we remain humble, and again, humility is not a lack of passion. Humility just simply says, I have been given this wonderful privilege to steward something that is far bigger than me. It'll outlive me, but I get to participate in it now and I get to touch people's lives. So if you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God in due time, he'll raise you. And for whatever that looks like, whoever, and that raising is to be able to then have the requisite influence with people that allows them to discover. And so I think in this season for us, humility is the absolute key because humility attracts the grace of God. If you humble yourself, the Bible says he gives grace to the humble. And that grace is not just a religious matter. That grace is an empowerment 
to then accomplish because we have gone through the process of recognizing that what we do is not like in the Tower of Babel. The Bible says the challenge that God had with it was not the skill level or anything like that. It was the fact that they were seeking to do something that appeared to have an elevation toward heaven, but the goal was to make a name for themselves. They weren't humble. And so they did it strictly to make a name for themselves. And so when we humble ourselves, when we know that what we have been granted to do has simply been that we've been granted to do it. Come on. And so we now become a steward of this. And the success of it is based on how much we know what the owner of it desires. Yes. And so to be a good steward then is to fulfill the desires of the owner in an arena that I find joy in. And so if we humble ourselves, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. No, it's not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking about yourself less. That way you can give yourself and serve yourself to people because you're now honoring people with the highest good that you desire for yourself, but you're serving it. And as you serve it and you honor God by honoring people, then it broadens the opportunity for your influence to grow. And God can trust you with certain things. If you're concerned about whether or not people recognize you and that determines the level of engagement, the Bible says that's kind of prideful. And the Bible says he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Come on. And so the minute you and I get to the point where we actually believe it's not about me, but yet it is about me. It's not about me in the overall picture, but it's about me in that I must engage in my stewardship. Right. And he entrusts us with this because on the earth, the only ones that that are assigned to have, you know, this dominion authority and to make things happen are humans. Come on. And so if we humble ourselves, right. Humility is not weakness. Humility is strength under control. It is strength that is directed. It allows you to live in wisdom and not you get to a point where you don't need people's approval to succeed, but you certainly need their cooperation. And so I'm into that. I love that. Pastor Stubble, thank you so much for all of those nuggets that you shared tonight as you were talking. Thank you for having me to come hang out on growth and greatness. Of course, of course. I am just reminded by, you know, as you were speaking, that we've got such a great privilege. We have literally been gifted the legacy of Jesus Christ to pass down to the generations. And we do that through sensitive and conscientious stewardship. And so having a real revelation of stewardship would serve us, would serve us well. I think it's going to be the key in this season. Yeah. It is recognizing that, again, I mentioned earlier, we are owners of nothing, but we are stewards of everything. Yeah. And as long as we don't get our stewardship and ownership confused, and that takes humility. But when we work that out, it attracts his grace and he gives us an abundant supply for every good work. That's right. As you're talking, I'm like, Lord, 
maybe this is why we've been having such a hard time doing the job of a leader because mm -hmm. we haven't been doing it in humility. Yeah. If you absolutely. have been resisting us because of our posture and our approach in the thing that you've given us, mm -hmm. when God resists what you're doing, you feel resistance. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It feels like a heavier it's thing, cool. right? You, we end up doing it in the energy, an energy that is human, but not by the spirit of God. Absolutely. And we talk so much about doing things in our own strength, right? And when we do something in our own strength, we are now intimately aware of just how little strength we have. But when we do something in pride, now we have opposing factor, which is the resistance of God. He's like, yeah. not only are you not going to do it, not only are you going to do it in your own strength, but now you're opposing me because <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm not just going to let you do it let you do it yeah, in your not, own strength. We end up not touching lives authentically. Right. We end up, you know, it's this, we'll touch lives in hopes that we're recognized or we'll touch lives in hopes that people see us. And I think we have to get to the place where we are willing to lead, to coach, to mentor, all of those things that come with leadership irrespective of what not everyone loves to get a tap on the shoulder i understand that and I, I don't take that away but i think we get to a point where we now do something because that's who we are right right and i think you know that that's a journey i think that's a journey Absolutely. but uh, i've enjoyed uh, being with you tonight maybe we'll have another opportunity maybe we'll have an opportunity one time to talk about what it takes to develop people for their industry specific assignments you know, oh. not just in terms of a church, but in those industry specific assignments, I think the body of Christ is getting to a place where we have to kind of maybe even have that as a part of our equipping the sinks within terms of our corporate community, have an arm that is really helping to develop people for the workplace. For sure. A, a particular mindset for the workplace. And so for sure. Uh, that sounds like a great part too. <laughs> so I'll be happy to do that. Everybody, well, thank you so much for having me. You are so welcome. Thank you all for joining me tonight. Before I cut everybody loose, I do want to remind you that November 10th, next Thursday, the day before Remembrance Day, we are having a live and in-person growth and greatness event. I'm going to put the flyer up here for you now so that you can see it. If you have not registered, please go to my website, www.candislam.com and register for this event. I'm telling you guys, you do not want to miss it. If you've been enjoying these episodes, you can only imagine how much fun we are in person, okay? So take the time, register for this event, Thursday, November 10th, 7 p.m., at Media Lounge in Dockyard, we are having an in-person growth and greatness. We are going to have catered food there. So the tickets are $50, but most of that is food and giveaways. So make sure you get your ticket. Make sure you are there in the building because you do not want to miss it. Seats are limited and people are already reserving. So I really want to make sure that you guys are in the building for that. And before we get out of here... And this is something that I have never done before, but I think it would be helpful. I want to say a word of prayer. 
for all of the leaders who are believing God for more. So if you would just join me briefly. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you tonight for such a topic. God, I thank you for Pastor Stovall, and I thank you for the wisdom that he has shared with us. Lord, tonight we surrender our leadership to you. God, open our eyes to see just what you had in mind when you selected us for such a calling. Thank you for the honor and the privilege it is to serve you in this way. God, any areas of our hearts that have been damaged along the way, hurt by people, hurt by expectations, hurt by just the journey alone, God, I pray that you would heal everyone under the sound of my voice. I pray, Lord, that your spirit of restoration would meet us, that it would be an oasis to us, God, that you would restore us in your presence in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you that you are the lifter of our heads, but God, I pray that you would lift our countenance and that you would lift us to move forward in leadership the way that you have destined for us in the name of Jesus. Everything that's not like you, I pray God that you would uh, strip it off of us. Anything that's up to us to relinquish to you, I pray that you would bring it to our attention, God, so that we can lay it at your feet. In the name of Jesus, God, I pray that you would anoint us for the kind of leadership that is required for this day, for this age. Break off old habits, break off unnecessary models, break off whatever is hindering you from having the full harvest from our lives. In the name of Jesus. We pray a special blessing for Pastor Stubble. We pray that you would bless the works of his hands. And I pray a special blessing for all of the listeners. God, encounter them, continue to speak to them even after this episode. And I pray, God, that you would get all of the glory from our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for having me and for all of those who stayed around to listen. Trust it was a blessing to you. Amen. Amen. Everybody, thanks for hanging around and good night. Thanks for listening to the Growth and Greatness podcast. If you haven't yet, subscribe to make sure you never miss a new episode. And follow me on social media at Candice Lamb. That's C-A-N-D-I-C-E-L-A-M-B-E. To catch the replay of this live show, check out my channel, Rain Life Entertainment, on YouTube. That's R-E-I-G-N, Life Entertainment, on YouTube.